Good morning, church. And if you're visiting, so good to have you here at Open Door. We have begun a journey through the books of the law, Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy. And uh, we are now around chapter 5, talk about the story of the plagues. It is good to be back. Uh, Kay and I were away visiting three of our church plants, especially the Hill Church in San Diego. We celebrated their fifth anniversary with them this past Sunday, and they give you their greetings. I'm so grateful for uh, your partnership in the gospel with them. Hey, I know there's football tonight, uh, but also tonight at 6 o'clock, if you're a member, we're having a members meeting, our first of the year, and along with the members meeting, we're going to be ordaining our newest pastor, Stephen Ecker, and we want you to come and celebrate that with us, so it'll be a really important members meeting tonight at Six. All right. Studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible are for us to remember. We've sung about that and we need to think about that. We need to remember God who has a covenant loyalty to his people. We, we need to remember the redemption that God has brought to us, his redeeming love. We, we need to remember that, that God desires for us to pursue a holy life, covenant, redemption, holiness. This is what the books of the law are about, and we're here to dig in so that we in Christ can then remember what God has done and live a life that is pleasing to our Lord. Uh, it's an exciting passage of scripture. We've been talking about all the plagues, but really this story has to do with sons. Now, uh, a few years ago, back when we were able to travel to China, safely. Kay and I were there and we were visiting some of our, our missionary teams. Along with, we, we went to visit a family of a couple of boys, twin boys, that uh, we had hosted. And it was our privilege to go to this massive city. And, uh, and we, we, were, we went to the home. They lived in this condominium complex about six stories up. And, and as we were going to inside their house, I noticed there uh, on their front door that they had this red sash on the sides of the door and across the top of the door. I thought, that's interesting, this bright red sash. When we got inside, I, I asked, I said, do you mind uh, telling me why that's there? And they said, well, it's just, it's just Chinese custom. I said, well, I'm just interested, like, why are you doing it? And they said, well, uh, the story is that thousands of years ago, uh, Chinese people started to do this because there, there was some myth that uh, if you had sons in your house, uh, about this time of the year, if you didn't put a red sash over your door, that a death monster would come and kill your sons. And I looked at my wife, Kay, and I said, oh my. I said, I know that story. They said, you do? I said, yeah, that, that story actually took place in the land of Egypt thousands of years ago, and it concerned the God of the Bible, the God that I believe. I've been witnessing to, to their sons. And, and, I, and I began to tell them the story of the Passover. Still to this day, it's phenomenal that, that that story somehow got all the way to China. Isn't God good? And, 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 and as we think about this story, it's not necessarily about all these plagues, but it's really a story about whose son is greater. It's the age-old story. You got to go back, as, as Nate helped us last week introduce Exodus, you got to go all the way back to Genesis. 
Because, you know, Adam and Eve sin and, and God's cursing the serpent and, and, and cursing Eve, but then he gives a promise to Eve and, and he says, okay, now like from the offspring of the serpent, that old snake, Satan, uh, you will bruise the heel of the offspring of Eve, but the offspring of Eve will crush the head of the offspring of the serpent. And, and from that moment on, Satan has tried to kill the offspring of Eve, Cain and Abel, kill the offspring. And it went on and on. And, and by the time we get to the story of the Exodus now, the Israelites were living as oppressed slaves in Egypt. They'd been there for centuries and Satan thinking, I've got them right where I want them, right? Because I'm in control of Pharaoh. And then he even had Pharaoh try to kill all of the male sons, right? Trying to kill the offspring. That's always been his goal. But finally, after 400 years, God, he, he says, it's time. I've heard my people. I've heard their cries. I am going to redeem them. I'm going to keep my covenant. And, and, and so the story of, of the Exodus, especially today, is about God doing just that. And Moses was told to write all of this down so that the Israelites would never forget. And then we're here today to look at it again because we must not forget our redemption. We can't forget it. Now, if you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, say amen. amen. Say a little louder. Amen. Yes, but here's the thing. Sometimes you forget that. You do. And, and you, you, you might have had a difficult week. And now you're dealing with the difficulties. You might have had a week where you, you've just struggled. You might have had a, a week full of doubts. You, 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 you may be struggling with a lot of fear right now. Listen, when you are dealing with these difficulties, what you need to do is remember Remember, just as we sung today, the works of God's hands. Remember what God has done for you. Remember, don't forget. And that will give you strength to continue on. And so, you know, sometimes we, we forget what God delivered us from and we forget what God saved us for. I don't want you to forget that. I want you to remember and, and so the thrust of, of this passage, all these chapters, is simply to tell us this. We must remember the power of Christ and his shed blood that can deliver us from every sin so that we might live in a manner worthy of our salvation. Don't forget what Christ has done. Remember his shed blood. Remember that he has more power than any and all of your sin combined. He can deliver you so that you can live a life worthy of your redemption. Exodus chapter 5. Remember, God told Abraham he's going to have this great nation. Well, well now he does. 120 people of Jacob's family, they are welcome into Egypt. They're given the best of the land, the area of Goshen. Pharaoh blesses them, but the next generation of Pharaoh forgot. And, and Israel swelled in number and the Egyptians became nervous. Maybe they're going to take over Egypt. And so they enslaved them. They enslaved them. And now for hundreds of years, the Israelites became nothing more than, than brick makers making bricks and stones for Pharaoh's tomb, the, the, the pyramids. And that's, that's, they, they had been demoted 
from this, this glorious family to just, to just a, a number of slaves. And, and in the, the oppression of slavery, they cry out and God hears them. And, and so he calls Moses and he declares to Moses something he hadn't even declared to Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. He gave him his name. He says, I am. I'm your God. And it's time for me now to, to, to come to my people and redeem them. And so if you look at chapter 5, we're just going to kind of go through this fairly quickly until we get to 11, and then we'll slow down. But chapter 5, let me read. Moses wrote this. He wrote it for Israel, but he wrote it for us as God inspired him to do so. And he says, it says later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded and said, who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today in this large group of people who've gathered to worship that doesn't know you, like Pharaoh, please, Father, today, reveal yourself in such a way that they would leave knowing you, like many of us know you and love you, and we rejoice in the salvation that you've given to us. Father, help us to know, help us to remember. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses says to Pharaoh, he says, look, I've got to take the entire nation of Israel. We've got to travel three days. We've got to go to this mountain. I was just there and, and we've got to go offer sacrifices and, and worship him. And Pharaoh said, are you kidding me? There's no way. I mean, there's a million plus of you. I need the labor. I'm not going to let you go three days. And in return, Pharaoh became angry and he decided to increase his brutality against the Israelites. He told the officials, he said, not only am I going to demand the same amount of bricks that they make for me every day, take away the straw. And now let's see if they can labor well. And so Pharaoh punishes God's people even more to the point where they cry out in their suffering and God hears them. And, and they, they appeal to Moses and they said, look, Moses, you're only making this worse. And then chapter six comes along. And, 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 and remember, the Israelites, they, they had forgotten. And, and they were so downcast because of their oppression. They, they just, it was hard for them to believe what was going to, about to take place. But nonetheless, the Lord replies to Moses, chapter six and verse one. He says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from the land. He says, Pharaoh says, no. Eventually, Pharaoh's going to say yes and demand that you leave. And now God promises freedom and he renews his covenant. That's so important. His covenant relationship with his people, he renews it. He says, he speaks to Moses and he says, I am the Lord. He reveals his special name. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I wasn't known to them by, by my name, the Lord. I established my covenant, very important, verse four, with them. 
And I, I promised them the land of Canaan. Uh, I promised them that they would live there uh, amongst uh, the foreigners. But I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. Such an important statement. And so he says to, to, to Moses, he says, you tell the Israelites this. The I am is about to take action. The I am is going to redeem them. I'm going to display my power so that once you are redeemed, you will be my people and I will be your God. That ultimately is the story of the Bible. God redeeming a people so that he would have a people and we his people, we would have a God to honor and to worship and to, and to love. And then so God says it's, it's time to take action and he's using Moses and Aaron to do this. Now, uh, Moses felt totally inadequate for the job. He's 80 years old, calls upon his 83-year-old brother Aaron for help. And so now they're tag teaming against Pharaoh. And God says, all right, you're going you're to show up to Pharaoh's uh, palace and uh, he's going to demand a sign, throw your staff down and it'll turn into a snake. And, uh, and so sure enough, they show up to Pharaoh's palace and they're like, Pharaoh, God has spoken. And who's God? And Aaron says, look, boom, throws his staff down and his giant snake starts slithering around. And, and Pharaoh, by the way, who is empowered by Satan, because ultimately this story is who, whose power is greater? The sovereign God of the universe, the creator God, or the prince of the power of this world, who is Satan. And, and, and he just, he empowers uh, Pharaoh. So when you see, think Pharaoh, think Satan. All right, so Pharaoh, who is empowered, he, he looks to his sorcerers. He's got several of them, uh, his magicians. And he says, hey, can y'all do that? And they said, yeah, we can do that too. Look, they take their sticks, throw them down, and there's a bunch of little snakes. And, but as they're slithering around, Aaron's big snake comes and he, he eats all the little snakes, showing immediately like whose power is greater. Now, it would have been a short story if Pharaoh would have gone, oh, wow, your power, God's power, your God's power is greater than my power. Okay, I give up. That didn't happen. Matter of fact, not even close. And, 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 and so Pharaoh, he gets mad and he says, I am not going to let your people go. It's just not going to happen. And so um, God says to Moses, okay, I'm going to reveal my power against Pharaoh because, you know, ultimately you have this contest and, and there's no better person for God to reveal his, his power and his glory than to Pharaoh because Pharaoh was the most powerful man on earth. I mean, he was so powerful, he was considered a God. People worshiped him. And, and, and not only that, they worshiped the gods of Egypt. They were known all over the place. The Egyptians worshiped the Nile and they worshiped the sun and they worshiped their, their, their amazing cows, their, their bulls. They just worshiped all these gods. And God says, okay, I'm going to show my power against all the gods of Egypt. I'm going to denounce them. Everything that Pharaoh idolizes and worships, I am going to mock. And ultimately, um, Pharaoh will end up admitting his defeat. And interesting, we're going to actually see eventually Pharaoh have sorrow, but it's a worldly sorrow. It's, it's not a godly sorrow. He never repents of his sin and submits his life to a sovereign Lord. All right, so, so God says, I'm going I'm to cause all of these plagues to rain down 
on, on Egypt. All right, now, if you're a child age 12 and under, raise your hand. Children, raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, I need you to do something, children. You're going to help me now. And we're going to do this quickly. I'm going to be Moses. You're going to be Pharaoh. And there's one word I need you to say very loudly. And the word is no. All right, let's all practice. Ready, children? No, you got to say it louder. No. Very good. I know you like saying that word. When your parents tell you to do something, when your sister and brother tell you to do something, you're pretty good at saying that. Now, I need you to say it this way. I need you to say it with a hard heart, right? I don't want your heart to be hard, but in this sense, I need you to pretend you've got a hard heart. I want you to say no with a hard heart. Okay, you do that. And, and so, because he, here's what's going to happen. Of all these plagues... Moses is going to come to Pharaoh and he's going to say, the Lord told me to tell you this, let my people go. But Pharaoh will say what? No. Very good. And so Moses goes down to the Nile where Pharaoh takes his morning bath and he says to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, you let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. and so Moses took his staff to show the power of the Lord and he slaps it on the Nile River. The Nile was considered a god. It provided life. It was a force for all of Egypt. And when Moses slams his staff down on, on the Nile River, it turns to blood. That which used to give life became bloody death. All the fish died, rose to the top. Everything that the Nile gave water to the streams and the reservoirs and, and the pots of water in the homes all turned to blood, and the Egyptians suffered greatly for days. Pharaoh says to his, his sorcerers, his magicians, he said, can y'all do that? They said, we can do that. We can make water red, and they did. So Pharaoh says, well then, I'm not gonna let you go. I refuse. And so, the second plague, the plague of frogs. Moses comes to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, that's exactly what he said. And so out of the bloody Nile comes frogs by the millions of them. And they're hopping all over the place, all hopping all over Egypt. And they're all in everybody's face and in everybody's life. And they're, they are destroying the luxurious life of Egypt. They're making life miserable. And uh, Pharaoh says to his magicians, can y'all make frogs? They say, we can make frogs. And they do it. So Pharaoh says, okay, uh, you still can't be released. But he says to Moses, all right, look, if you'll get rid of these frogs, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go quickly to worship and you come back. And so Moses says to the Lord, okay. And the Lord kills all the frogs and the Egyptians pile up these frogs, mountains of dead, nasty, decaying frog flesh everywhere in Egypt. And Pharaoh looks at it and he just gets mad and he says, no. I changed my mind. You cannot go. So God says, another plague. This time, gnats. And Aaron takes his staff and he strikes the ground. And as the dust comes up, gnats from heaven come down. I mean, they come down by the zillions. And they are in everybody's business. It's like Wilson, North Carolina in the heat of summer. We used to do a soccer camp there. I don't know why they chose that week, but it was gnat week. And those gnats would get in our nose and get in our eyes. And it was horrible. I used to like wear a mask and, and it was worse than that. 
and, and they were just devastating the life, right? Everyone had just worshiped Egypt and its lifestyle, but now, no, now life was miserable for them. And, and this time though, Pharaoh says to his magicians, can y'all make a bunch of gnats? And they said, we can't. As a matter of fact, they said, they said to Pharaoh, look, all of this is coming from the finger of God. I thought that's so appropriate that they said that. They didn't say from Moses. The magician said, Pharaoh, this is coming from the finger of God. But Pharaoh still had a super hard heart and he said, no, you cannot go. And so then, all right, next plague, flies. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, what? No. That's exactly what he said. And so God sends down an army of flies that invade Egypt. I mean, in their homes, in their bedrooms, flies everywhere, buzzing around their faces. It was miserable, but this time something different happened. Not only could the magicians not create the flies, remember Goshen, that little area of Egypt that was so beautiful where all the Israelite slaves lived? God said to Pharaoh, guess what? I'm not going to allow any flies to infest Goshen because I'm making a distinction between you and my people, your people and my people. That's a theme that runs throughout the entirety of the Bible, okay? This important distinction. And, and so the Israelites were spared from the infestation of, of the flies. And, uh, and, and, and so uh, then um, Pharaoh says, okay, look, make your sacrifices, Moses. Do what you got to do, but don't leave Egypt. And, and Moses says, no, that's, that can't happen for two reasons. One, the Lord told me I got to go in the wilderness to Mount Horeb to make our sacrifices. We got to go there to do it. And secondly, when we make our sacrifices, we're going to be sacrificing the things that you all worship like cows. And so Egyptians aren't going to be happy with this. Says, no, we have to go away and do that. And so Pharaoh just got mad and he said, no, you cannot go. And so the Lord says, okay, time for me to show my power again. The fifth plague, disease. Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. that's exactly what he said. And so God sent a deadly disease upon the livestock of the Egyptians all of their precious livestock, cows and goats and lambs, they all got disease-ridden. So many of them died, but all the livestock of the Israelites, they were spared. And that just made Pharaoh all the more hardened in his heart. He said, no, you cannot go. And so then God says to Moses, take some furnace suit like the ashes left over from a fire and throw it up in, in the air. And, and when he did that, down from heaven became the sixth plague and what came down upon all of the Egyptians, not the Israelites, but all of the Egyptians were these horrible boils, all painful, infested, bleeding, seeping boils. We'll see this again, actually, in the story of Job. He was covered with them. And, and well, there, I mean, you talk about being miserable. All the Egyptians, even Pharaoh, they were just, just dying in the misery of all of these boils. 
And, uh, and, and, and as the Egyptians were suffering, even Pharaoh's, as the Egyptians were suffering, even Pharaoh's magicians were done. They left Pharaoh. They were like struggling at this point. And, and yet, and yet, Pharaoh's heart was hard. He would not let the Israelites go. So the Lord said, let's approach him again with the seventh plague, a hailstorm. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, what? Yes, he did. You guys are getting a little weaker. How about louder, kids? That's right. Pharaoh's worried at this point, but he's still obstinate. And the Lord says, all right, now, Pharaoh, I want you to understand something. I'm doing all of this. I could have just killed you. Could have killed all the Egyptians. I'm doing this because I'm proving something. I'm proving that my power is greater and I don't want Egypt or anybody else in the world ever to forget who I am or how powerful I am. Right? This is like, for God, important. I want the world to know I'm greater. I'm God. I'm the creator. I'm more powerful. I'm doing this for that reason. And, and, and Moses, I'm doing this so that the Israelites will never forget, right? We must remember. And so um, I, God says, I'm going to send this, this hailstorm down. The, the world's never seen such a hailstorm. Not such a storm has been written in the annals of, of Egyptian history. And it came and it devastated the nation completely. And what's interesting, at, at the seventh plague, there were some Egyptians that fled to Goshen to be with the slaves, the Israelites. There were some Egyptians that began to fear the Lord. And I think some of those Egyptians actually came with uh, Israel out, out, of, uh, out of Egypt when they crossed the Red Sea. We'll talk about that later. But, but there were some God-fearing Egyptians who, who fled. But, but Pharaoh... He now comes to Moses, and it's interesting. He says to Moses, I'm a sinner. I admit that. The Lord is righteous. I, I admit that. So, okay, you can go. You can go. Just please stop the hailstorm. And then Moses appeals to the Lord, and the Lord stops the hailstorm. And immediately Pharaoh's heart gets hardened again, and he says, no, I will not let these slaves go. So, okay, one more plague of locusts is going to come. And, and God sent this, this army of locusts and they just annihilated all of the plant life and the fruit trees of Egypt. They just ate everything. You can see nothing but locusts and it's just devastated. Now at this point, at this point, Egypt is decimated. There's no more beauty. There's no more glory. There's nothing to worship. It has just been utterly destroyed. And, and yet... And yet, Pharaoh's heart remained hard. So, the ninth plague, a different plague, the plague of darkness. I mean like the darkness of death. And so Moses stretches out his arms to the heavens, and God dims the light on Egypt to the point where it's completely dark. The only light is there in Goshen. Everywhere else, utter Darkness, as if you were in a tomb that had been sealed for three days, nothing but darkness. And, and then Pharaoh, he pleads with Moses and he says, the people can go. 
But he says, you can't take any animals with you. I, I need all those animals now. And Moses says, no, I, we've got to take the animals for the sacrifice. And at this point in time, you'd think Pharaoh would finally have repented. But Pharaoh says, you cannot go. And, and, and as a matter of fact, he says to Moses, get out of my face. If I ever lay eyes on you again, I'll have you killed. And Moses looks to him and says, okay, I won't see your face again. And he leaves. Nine plagues. Nine plagues to prove that the power of God is greater than all other powers, especially Satan's power. And, and, and there's another reason why these plagues happened. You see, not only did God need for Israel to get out of Egypt, but he needed for Egypt to get out of Israel. Because after hundreds of years, the Israelites had become like Egyptians and they were, were, they were worshiping the gods of the Egyptians. And, and so God had to say, look, their faith, their worldview is wrong. It is not powerful. You must not worship them. You are my people. You must worship me and me alone. And the Israelites will struggle with this for centuries. They keep going back to idolatry. So God wanted to prove to Israel, I'm, pow I'm more powerful. I am the Lord. And, and all of these plagues proved that. But, but now, now, it was time for the, for the tenth plague. But I'm reminded, friends, when I, when I read this about Pharaoh, I'm reminded how easily but how devastating it is for your heart to grow hard. Have you ever been there? And your heart just got hard towards the things for the Lord? I, I went through a couple years of that. And it was awful. Don't let your heart grow hard. Don't be like Pharaoh. There's another important thing, I think, before we get to the most important plague is that if you look at Pharaoh, there's a clear difference between Pharaoh's, you know, confession of sin, Pharaoh's sorrow versus godly sorrow. So, so, so no, there's a difference between feeling sorry for your circumstances and, and really grieving and repenting over your sin. True confession leads to true repentance. And, and let me just quote from Paul in 2 Corinthians 7. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. So Pharaoh, he felt sorry for his circumstances, but he never really came to the Lord and repented. There's a big difference. All right, now, it's time to answer the question, whose son is greater? The nine plagues had occurred from a bloody Nile to deathly darkness, but now it's time for God's sovereignty to reveal itself against Satan's stubbornness, and God is going to reveal that his power is greater and that his son is greater. And he's gonna use Israel as a son in this analogy. And Satan then, the, the, the seed of, of the serpent, which is Pharaoh, Pharaoh has a son. Pharaoh's son versus God's son. Which, by the way, you know, that somewhere in Israel, amongst all the slaves, there was a woman from the tribe of Judah, and in her womb, there was a seed that eventually would produce Jesus. Now, who's going to be spared? Whose son will die? And that leads us to the 10th plague. Chapter 11, 
And let me read. Now let's look at chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you out from here. Now announce to the people uh, that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold items. And, and, and they did. So, so all the Israelites, they go to their Egyptian neighbors and they say, give me what you got. Like, when would a slave do that? But they were so terrified of Moses and the God of Israel, they downloaded upon the slaves gold and silver and gems and precious cloth. All of that would be absolutely necessary to build God an amazing house, a place to dwell called the tabernacle, right? That story is to come. But, but they asked and they were given all this stuff. And, and now in verse 6, um, uh, verse 4, Moses says, this is what the Lord says, about midnight, I'm going to go throughout Egypt and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstone, as well as the firstborn of all the livestock. And then you're going to hear a great cry of anguish throughout the land of Egypt, such as never has been heard before, but not against the Israelites. They all will be spared. And, and then the officials of Egypt will come to you and demand to get out. And, and, he, and he said to Moses, Listen, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, but all of this is going to take place. Now, now, because of that, this is the night of the 10th plague. But what God is going to do is he is going to memorialize this night. It's going to be so important that it will be something that the Israelites are to remember by way of a, by way of a meal, a feast, every year around this time, which is their first month, uh, and, and it's springtime, it's kind of around our Easter time, and it will be called Passover. And so in chapter 12, the Lord is going to give instructions for the Passover. And he says, Moses and Aaron, this, this month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. So God says, I'm changing everything. Your life is going to change beginning tonight. And we're starting a whole new life, a whole new calendar. This is, this is month one. And, and, and on month one of your new calendar, between you and me, my covenant people, you're going to remember what I'm about to do tonight forever. And, and so what you'll have to do is celebrate the Passover. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If your family's too small, get another small family, come together and then take an animal that you will sacrifice a lamb, a goat. You take an animal. It's got to be a spotless animal. It's got to be a precious animal. And, and that animal must die because I need the blood of the animal to cover you and to protect you. And so verse 6, you will slaughter the animals at twilight just as the sun is setting. And you take some of the blood and you will put it on the two door posts and then on the lintel above the door. And then what you'll do is you're going to have a meal. And, and you're going to basically, you're going to roast 
the entire lamb over fire, consume it, um, unleavened bread, because this, this meal is going to happen very quickly, no time for bread to rise, and take some bitter herbs to remind you of the bitterness of slavery and eat it. You got to consume it pretty quickly. And, then, and when you do so, uh, make sure you have your clothes on that you can travel with quickly, right? Get your travel clothes on, get your running robe and your Nike sandals, because as soon as you eat this meal and I say go, we go. We got a long way to go and you need to be ready to roll. And, and so then chapter 12, uh, in, in verse 12, this is what is about to happen. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. And I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark between us, between you and the Egyptians. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. There's the key. No plague will be among you to destroy when I strike the land of Egypt. And again, he says, and this is going to be a lasting memorial. I want you to remember this. Remember your deliverance. Remember what I'm about to do every single year. And, and so Moses tells all the leaders of Israel, go tell all the families of Israel, and they do it. They do it. They kill the lamb. They take the blood. They spread it, and they stain their doorposts, and then they go inside to hide. They've got to be behind the blood, you see. They've got to be protected by, by the blood. And then they all do that, and they await for what's about to happen. And, and this meal that, that symbolizes this incredible event became known as Passover. Passover. It, it, it was and it remains today the most important meal that a Jewish person will eat every year. And faithful Jews to this day still celebrate the Passover. Well, faithful Christians celebrate it as well. Except we have in the new covenant relationship with Jesus, we've converted the Passover into something we call the Lord's Supper. It is the most important meal that we share as a church. The community of faith and, and when we do so, we are reminded that we too were delivered because of the blood of the Lamb. Amen? So in, in chapter 12, verse 29, it, it happens. This horrific event, the, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and the power of God is revealed. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and every firstborn of the livestock. And during the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all of his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. It was either a dead son or in Israel there was a dead lamb. Either way, someone was dead. And Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and he says, get out. Get out. 
Pharaoh admits his defeat. He admits that the God of Israel is greater. He's completely humbled. And he says, take everything, all your people, all your livestock, just go. I demand that you go. And it's very interesting to me, at the end of verse 32 of chapter 12, he says, and as you leave, bless me. Bless me. That is an admission of defeat. And sure enough, that night, the angel of death, the destroyer came. The death monster. And killed all the firstborn sons. Anyone who was not protected by the blood, they died. But all of those Israelites and all the God-fearers who were protected by the blood, they were spared. They were delivered. And in this became a memorial for Israel up until this day. Hmm. Now, for us as Christians, we have to remember as well. We have to remember that there is a greater Passover lamb that we have given our life to and our faith to, and that is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the greater son. He is the greater Passover lamb. It was his cousin John who first revealed that. Remember, John the Baptist, he's out ironically baptizing a bunch of folks and he sees his cousin Jesus and he says, there he is. There is the lamb who will take away the sins of the world. And then Jesus lives this perfect life and just before he faces the cross, he holds a Passover meal with his disciples. And in that Passover meal, if you noticed, if you remember, there's nothing to do with an actual lamb, is it? There's no mention of, of the meat of a lamb. No, Jesus says, this is about me now. This is about me. This is about a new covenant in my blood. And on that night, he was betrayed. He was taken. He was tortured. He was crucified. So that the lamb's blood would stain the wooden cross. The blood had to stain the wooden cross, you see. And, and this becomes important because at the very same time where it was Passover, where the high priest there in Jerusalem would have been killing the lamb, it was about that time when Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. My blood now can deliver you completely. And that's why our scripture reading today was so important. First Corinthians 5, where Paul would say, you are a new batch of unleavened dough, church, because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's why Peter would say, look, you, you, you know it wasn't perishable things like silver and gold, like he's recalling the things that, that the Israelites took from the Egyptians that redeemed you from this empty way of life that was handed down from your ancestors. No, here's what redeemed you. The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It was the blood of Christ that was needed to protect us, 
to deliver us from judgment and from death. On that fearful night in Exodus 12, only those that were marked by the blood on their doors and who hid behind those bloody doors were saved. Friends, in the same way, only those who are marked by the blood of Christ and, and those of us who hide behind a bloody cross can be saved. It is the only thing that can deliver you. And, and it's important, friends, because here's Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I don't know your God. And it cost him everything. The very last thing that I want is for you to stand before the Lord one day, one day at the end of all things, and for the Lord to look at you and say, I don't know you. I don't remember you. Please don't let that happen. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have not claimed the blood of Christ to save you, it's the only thing that can to deliver you. And please do it. Claim it. Be delivered. And now for the rest of your life, you make sure you hide behind that bloody cross. Remember. Remember. And in the next time you, you find yourself struggling, it could be tomorrow. And you're struggling. And you're confused. You're doubting. Look back. Look back. Remember the works of God's hands. Look back. Remember what Christ did for you on the cross. And then you look at your circumstances and you do just what we sung about. You stop and praise and you give God all the glory because you remember. You remember. The one that's delivered you will keep you until that glorious day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we remember. Today, we, we remember the great deliverance of your people, Israel. But more importantly, we remember the work of Christ on the cross for us. We remember. We don't have to struggle. We, we don't have to doubt. The Passover lamb has shed his blood, and we are safely, safely protected behind it. Lord, now give us strength to live out our deliverance and give us opportunities to tell others that they can hide behind the cross and be saved as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.